Good morning. It's good to be back. Uh, we're in Dafnun Gimel, Meseches Yuma. And we begin in the very top line. We're Lifnai Vilifnim, Andrew. Yes. Lifnai Vilifnim, and we're bringing the Katoras. So the top line, Tanarabanan. Vinasan Esa Katoras Hala Esh Lifnei Hashem. So the Torah says explicitly that the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur has to take the Katoras inside the Thai of the Fnim. And then, just to finish off the Pasuk, the Pasuk continues to say, Okay. Which means that what we're going to do is cover the room. We're going to fill it with smoke. You realize this is the Avoda. The Avoda is not complete until the entire room is, of the Kaddish Kadashim is filled with smoke. So that, that, the Kohen's got to be in there. And then it's filled with smoke, then he can, then he can go out. Okay, that's part of the bringing of the incense. Now here we're going to come up with a machlokas between the tzedukim and the prushim. Says the Gemara, that what you're supposed to do is put the incense. Now what happens is when you put the incense on the burning coals, as we've discussed, that's when the smoke starts coming up. But you cannot, right, put the incense on the coals outside, let it start smoking there, and then bring it into the Kaddish Kaddashim. That you cannot do. Why? This is to contradict the practice of the Tzedukin Sha'omrim. Well, that's not the literal translation. The literal translation is to take, to take it out of the hearts or mindset of the Tzedukin. What was their mindset? They would set up the Ketaris um, outside, let it start smoking, and then bring it in. My Darish. What was their scriptural source? So it's so interesting, right? The Tzedukim, I ended up listening to Rabbi David Katz Shlita all about the Tzedukim recently. He, he did a podcast on it. Lots of theories as to who they were, but we don't really have a lot of sources. They disappeared. Bottom line is all the theories, you put them all together. Yeah, there's a theory proposed by the Maharal actually discusses at great length. And then Rabbi Migdur Miller um, has a Jewish nation Something like that, a sefer that he wrote, which was a condensation of a larger sefer called Doris Arishonim, which is quoted here in the art school uh, on today's daf at a certain point. Very, uh, that's a very dense, multi-volume sefer, the Doris Arishonim. There have uh, Menachem Mendel Blachman once recommended I read, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, discussing really what's going on with the with the with the Shani, what's going on, what what went on. Why why did I bring it up? Because they were from. In a sense, right? We see that the tzedukim certainly uh, were involved with the kahuna. That's why it's part of the first mishnayos that they cry that I'm not I'm not a tzeduki, and they have to and they have to address it. And some of them were in fact tzedukim. And Rabbi Yochanan Kohen Gadol for was a was a Kohen Gadol for eighty years, and at the end he became a tzeduki. Anyway, Rabbi Katz brings a whole history to that. But the bottom line is, if you put it all together, if I had to boil it down, I would say like this. That there is, and, and I think it's worthy of mentioning this in the introduction because we're also going to talk today about the Bnei Aaron and the sin of the Bnei Aaron. And it all boils down really to the same thing. And it's also Parsha Shlach coming up. Carlangelical coincidence. The human being has a natural tendency, has a difficulty, uh, processing the idea that it's not about him. In other words, it's not about, or her. It, it, self-absorption is sort of hardwired into the human nature. And so to understand that nothing matters unless you do it for Hashem or for another human being, either nothing other than that matters, 
is a very difficult thing for a human being to comprehend. So, for example, you do a vodas Hashem. Even a vodas Hashem, people can um, sort of start letting their own agenda and self-serving nature seep in. So that's what Cheta Ega was. That's what the Miraglim were. You know, Hashem tells you to do something. And it's very hard to say, well, for example, a perfect example is war. In order to be able to go to war and to conquer Eretz Yisrael, right, by definition, no person who cares about who thinks that life begins and ends with themselves, which is a natural thing to think, would be willing to go to war. Why should they go to war and sacrifice themselves? Then it's over for them, right? But there is a greater good, there is a greater cause, and Hashem says, no, you have to conquer the Canaanim. So I bring this up because it's Dukim, according to David Katz, were uh, intoxicated in the way that we'll see. They, they are on, were either literally intoxicated or intoxicated, so to speak, with power, right? They got a little bit, even in Avodah Hashem, they allow their own um, self-absorption to seep in. And so they had Teirutzim, they had Psukim, they had Teirutzim, they just didn't like the fact that they had to be subservient to the knowledge, to the deos of the Rabbanon. And so that was really what the Sadducees were. They were anti the Prushim, they were anti the Rabbanon, and so the Rabbanon and Sukim had this tension where the Rabbanon were going with the Masorah and they were sincere with Hashem's uh, Ratzon. And the Tzadukim said, well, you know what? We want the power. They got a little bit more. Rabbi Simon Wolf, Shlita, takes it a little step further and he applies it to this Gemara. He says, when you put the Ketaris on the in, when you wait until you go on the inside, so then when you're outside, it's the Kohen Gadol with Klal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Kaddish Kedashim. However, if you light it outside, as the Tzadukim did, so the, the Kohen Gadol is essentially saying to Klal Yisrael, here, I'm putting a barrier between you and me. It's going to be me and Hashem it, uh, towards the Kodesh Kedashim and the, and the Ketaris is like a smoke screen between us that's going to be the barrier. That's what Simon Wolf uh, uh, explained. And so it's consistent with what we know about the Tzadukim. Okay, so what was their drasha? But that's why we see that they have the drushas. It's like just like Karach. Right, they have their drushes, they have their tyras, but really at the end of the day, it's coming from some sort of personal agenda. My darish. So the tzedukim said like this: It sounds from the pasuk that already by the time you go and you see the kaporis, you have this this cloud of smoke already. So it's mashma, right? As the gemara says, it means it implies that you're letting the smoke light up. And then that's when you enter. So Hashem. But the Chachamim say, okay, but you have another pasuk also that the Ketaris has to be brought aleish lifnei Hashem. That the place where the Ketaris is placed on the coals is already in the lifnei Hashem, which is lifnei v'lifnim. So how do you reconcile these two contradictory pesukim? So says the Gemara. What do the Chachamim, the Prushim, do with this idea of? The fact that it sounds like you're going to the Kaparis and it's already, uh, you already have the smoke with you. A totally different thing. It's to teach you that there is an ingredient, as Rashi explains, a smoke enhancing herb that is going to create more smoke in that Kataris. Okay. Later, Rashi is going to explain. The Gemara is going to discuss. Wait a minute. What do you mean? This is redundant. We just said. So the Gemara will explain. But anyways, in the meantime, we have two psukim here. One is 
right? And the other one is that it should cover the kaparis. Both of them are teaching you that there has to be a smoke enhancing herb. Incredible idea that Rashi uh, picks up on that or or The pasuk says hakatoris. Uh huh. Hakatoris sounds like you have to. Well, it's teaching you that you have to go with the full katoris. That's where we get the famous idea. And we learn in many places. The Rambam points out many of the coin God, many of the coin, many a kohen gadol had passed away in the Bayesheni and Yom Kippur for this precise reason: for bringing an a wrong recipe of Kataris into the lefnai v'lefnim. This was the source of their chiv misa, and that punishment was deemed was meted out right away, uh, many times. Uh, we're going to talk about a coin gadol that tarried and got everybody nervous. It's a very bad omen when you're coin gadol. Uh, this gets back to the very first Mishnah in Yuma, right? You have to have a backup Kohen Gadol. Turns out it, you used it more often than one would think. Uh, very bad omen when you have to replace that Kohen Gadol for, uh, because he passed away in the Lefnai of name. But anyway, if you don't uh, bring the full, right, complement of ingredients into the Qataris, including the smoke enhancer, that in itself becomes a subject of great uh, discussion uh, as, as to whether this, the smoke enhancing um, uh, right, weed is, as it were, in this, in our Gemara, it makes it sound like it's their Raisa. Is it part of the Iker ingredient or is it a, right, a, an additive ingredient to make it better? Well, our Gemara implies that it is, in fact, a, a Chiv der Raisa, and if it's left out, even that portion, even though it's not part of the main recipe, it's the enhancer recipe that's still, and if you leave it out, you're Chayav Misa. Okay. So that's, that's the Ketoris recipe. So now, but typically, the Gemara asks, that the fact of the matter is that you don't really need to teach you, you don't need these two psukim to teach you um, that you're going to have a chiv misa here because there is an, an additional idea, which is you're not allowed to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim empty-handed. And walking in with a um, incomplete recipe for the Ketoris is equivalent of walking in with uh, empty-handed. And just for that, you're chayev misa. Yechayev misa b'deshemayim just for that. So the question is, why would you even need an extra pasuk to say that Yechayev misa for not walking in with deficient ingredients? You should already know that from the fact that you're not walking in with anything of uh, right that that's uh, significant. So Gemara says, Amar So maybe we could have the following idea that. With regards to the recipe, so let's say this guy, he wanted to use the tzduki recipe. So therefore, it was not good, and he should be chayv misa for that. However, he did not know that there was a problem with walking in empty-handed to the Kaddish Kaddashim. And therefore, in that respect, he was a shogig. You can't get misa for being a shogig. So the Pasuk's teaching you that when you don't realize that you can walk in empty-handed, and therefore you can't be chayv for that, however... You do intentionally walk in with the wrong recipe, you'll still get the chiv misa, right? Because just for having walked in with the wrong recipe, you're going to get chiv misa. That's what the Gemara is explaining. That's the explanation of Sheshes. Ravashi, however, Amar, afilu hazid bazu bazu. That even if you brought in the wrong tzaduki recipe and were also aware of the fact that you can't walk in empty-handed, you still have a reason to teach you in the pasuk. Kigon de ayel haktaros. Uh, uh, wild idea. The guy is trying to play at both camps. 
he's going to bring in the tzaduki and the prushi recipe. He's going to bring in a full and a deficient ktoris. So what happens in that case? Well, then in that case, right? he hasn't, in fact, walked in empty-handed because he has in his hands, right, in his possession as he's walking into the Kaddish Kedashim, the full complement of the Ktaris. However, the Ha'ayle Shlema, right, I'm sorry, the Ha'ayle Shlema, right, he's not Chayev on walking in empty-handed because he brought in the full Ktaris. However, but he is, but in fact, according to our Psukim, learn, we're going to learn that he's going to be Chayv Misa for the, for the deficient Ketaris. Because again, you didn't walk in empty-handed, but you did walk in with a deficient Ketaris, which in itself is a Chayv Misa, regardless. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to address what we asked before, is why did we uh, ask twice, where do we know that you need the smoking-enhancing herb? Amar Mar. Like we said, that is the first... That's the first uh, teretz. Then, kra likra. The Gemara asks, wait a minute, you mean two psukim? We need a pasuk to teach you, a uh, limud of the pasuk that teaches you already? Like, why are we having two psukim, in other words? So, Rabbi Yosef says that one teaches you that the ale, the leaf, uh, that you can use the leaf as a smoke enhancer, and the other one, ikar, teaches you that you can use the root of the same plant as a smoke enhancer. What is this plant? I don't know. Talmud Now, interesting. We're going to see. We're going to flip this. Chisa, if you ever go to Costa Rica, they have canopy tours. Everything is covered with, with uh, trees. It's very lush area, uh, rainforest. So the chisa, uh, you would think, would apply to the leaf, not to the root, right? Because it's a covering. Well, we're going to see. That Abaye is going to flip. He's going to fix this over here. Amale Abaye, Abaye said to Rabbi Yosef, Va'ipcha Tanya. You learn it the other way. The Tanya, Nasan Ba'ikr Ma'ila Ashan. If you put the root, that's Ma'ila Ashan, Hayam Metamer Ve'oyla Kemakel, what would happen in that case, the smoke would rise up like a neat staff, up, straight up. At Shemagiel Shmeakara. Now he's going to describe physically how this fire, the smoke really, uh, is going to rise. It's going to get to the ceiling. Then it spreads along the ceiling and starts going down the walls and filling up the whole area. Until the entire, right, the entire room is filled with smoke. The room becomes filled with smoke. Uh, now, in that case, it's referring to the entire uh, base of Mikdash. So it's not really a full-fledged uh, source, but anyway... It's, it's brought in sort of like as an asmachta. Anyway, so Abaye is saying, what? That when you put up the root, it goes up as a column, but we're not going up as a column, only. From that, I only know that the ikar, the root can be used as a mile ashon. How do we know that a leaf can be used? There it is. Now we're, now we're actually lining up the leafy part with the cover part of the Pasuk, and that's how you know that you could either use the root or the leaf of this smoke-enhancing herb. Now, Rav Shesh Samar, Ella Ohel, right, this is going to be uh, another explanation for why we have two Pesukim for the Maile Ashan. Rav Shesh says, Ainli Ella Ohel Midbar, right? All those Pesukim with, regard, were with regards to the Ohel Moed. Shilo How do we know that this would also apply to the Mishkan and then subsequently to the Beis HaMikdash? So you need multiple Psukim, one for the Almoid, where it happened initially, and the other one was for every subsequent 
right, um, analog, analogous structure, the Hainu, the Mishkan, and the Beis Amikdash, to the Yomoid, for that you use the Vechisa. So now the Gemara says, wait a minute, well, this idea where it says Ohel Moed in the Pasuk, right, so it says, um, we should know that it, that it would always be the case. Why? Because Hashochein Itam. In other words, Hashochein Itam makes it, uh, explains why you need to use this smoke enhancer in the oil moid. Why is it? Because Hashochein Itam, because that's where Kodesh Baruch Hu is. In other words, it defines the oil moid as the place where the Shekhinah resides. Well, if that's true, if that's sort of the active ingredient of the oil moid, as it were, so then that would be true of the Mishkan and the Beis Mikdash as well. We wouldn't need a Pasuk to teach us that. Because wherever the Shekhinah is, that's where you have to have the Ikitaris. That's the Kasha of the Gemara. So therefore, the Gemara is explaining a different thing now. Ela Hachikamar. This is what Rav Sheshus meant. Ela Hachikamar. Ainli Ela B'Yom Kippur. That that Pasuk only teaches you that it's on Yom Kippur. The Vechisa is not teaching you also in the Mishkan and the Beis Mikdash, but rather teaches you that you use this smoke-enhancing herb not only in Yom Kippur when you're filling the entire place with it, but also on, right, also during the rest of the year, it's part of the Katoris recipe. That's an explanation. Another explanation is Ravashi. Ravashi Amar, Chad Mitzvah, Vechad Akev. Fourth explanation here. One is to teach you that it's a mitzvah. So this is where we get into that long discussion, right? Before, it sounded like it was Del Raisa. You can't leave it out at all. But we have Ravashi here actually being mechadesh that the smoke enhancer is not obligatory, but rather it's a mitzvah. Mitzvah better to have it, but then you have the second pasuk, that's the hava mina. But ultimately, he comes out with the same thing, which is to say that it is me'akev, that without the smoke enhancer, the katoris itself is going to be considered entirely deficient. To which Rava says, Rava In order to be chayav misa, you need to have something to teach you that it's an onesh, and you also need to have a warning. And this is where we get into the b'nei Aharon. Let's see a b'risa. So Rava is talking about onesh and hazhara, to write to warn us that you're not supposed to have this. So Tanya, Rabbi Leazar Amer, Velo yomus, right? That's what the initial pasuk says. Yom Rashi to Beil Aron El Chicha Ve'Aliyav Abuchalaisa LaKodesh Beis Tavorchas Abdei Kvaros Shel Aron Velo Yamus Ki Be'Anon Ereal Akaparis. Okay. Also, Ve'Natanis Akaparis Al Eish Lifnei Hashem Chisa Non Akaparis Akaparis Asher Al Haidus. This is more relevant to us. Velo yomus. So it says you have to bring in this this Akaparis and presumably as well the smoke enhancer, and that is a Azhara that if you don't do it, you're Chayav Misa. So Tanya Rebbelezer loyamos onesh. That's to teach you the punishment is mitzvah b'deshemayin. Kibeh non era ed. That portion of the pasuk says azhara. That's going to be the azhara, right? So we just quoted the two psukim. I quoted them out of order, but the point is the first one says loyamos. The second says kibeh non era ed. You put it together and you see that you're supposed to write that you're supposed to go in with the. Um, with the uh, full Katoris, full otherwise the Bia Reikonis, and it's a Chiv Misa. So now, let's see how this played out at that year where these Psukim are in fact recited. It played out as follows. Yachol Yushneim Amurim Kodem Misas Bnei Aaron. As we know, right, Bnei Aaron were killed for being Makhtir and Eish Zara. Right? They brought an Eish Zara. Right? So that was a problem. The question is, what was this Eish Zara? But the other, but the other question is, 
When did this Hazhara take place? In order for the Bnei Aaron to be Chayev, they would have had to have been known, they, Chayev Misa, they would have had to have had the Onesh, known that it was a Chayev Misa, as well as a warning, as Hazhara. So let's see. It would make sense that both the punishment that we mentioned, again, Rebbe Leezer in the Brisa says that you get both, you, you're, you have one Pasuk to teach you the Onish and one Pasuk to teach you the Azhara. So the Gemara now is saying it would make sense, uh, stand to reason that both Psukim were, were relevant to Bnei Aharon prior to them doing the Avera. That's why they were in fact killed. However, Talmud Lomar, look at the Pasuk. What did the Pasuk say? Achari Mos Shnei Bnei Aharon. Right, the whole parsha is called Achrimos. It's because that those psukim, that Azhara, is mentioned after they died already. So wait a minute. Well, where was the Azhara for them? They didn't get any warning. It says Yachol Yushneim Amur Rachamisa Shneib Ne Aharon. Right, because the psukim both mentioned after they died. Tamadomer Kibianon Ereal Kaporis Ha Ketzad Azhara Kodemisa Onesh Acharmisa. So that's why you have one pasuk. Even though both psukim are really after they died, you're gonna have to use the concept of Ein Muktam Mukhar Batara and the fact that you have two psukim teaches you ah it could be that they did in fact have the Azara, but the Onesh was only mentioned after the Misa. Uh-huh. So they were forewarned uh, that they shouldn't do it, but they didn't know that the penalty was gonna be Misa Bade Shamaim. Uh-huh. How do we know? How are we going to take the psukim out of order and say that the Azhara was prior to their death? Says the Gemara. My Talmud, how do we know that? Because Amarava, Amarakraki Bananera'e it set, so this is an interesting, uh, Rava River really, uh, came up with a clever, uh, a clever thing here. It says in the Pasuk, as we, as we read, I will be, I will appear, right? I will appear, says Hashem, in the smoke. Well, but we know, what was the sequence? What was the sequence of events here? Sequence was that Hashem had not yet appeared. So if, Right at the time that Aaron's sons died, Hashem's glory in the cloud had not yet appeared. So it must be that right had the Azara been said afterwards, so then he wouldn't have said, "I will appear in a cloud," because that was already he had already appeared in the cloud. So it must be, says Rava, that it places the pasuk of the Azara prior to the episode of Nadav and Avihu, Ne'aron, and therefore, that's how we know that we have to take it out of context, chronological context, and say that the Pasuk Ve'ezahor was prior to the Avera. Okay. So now the Gemara says, let's talk about Ne'aron for a second. Why was the death penalty only disclosed after the death? Why were they punished if the actual, right, Onesh was only Explained afterwards, right? You have to tell him part of the Azar is telling him what the punishment is going to be. Says the Gemara, Kedetanya, Rabbi For walking in with the Eish Zara, whatever the Eish Zara is, let's say deficient Qataris or whatever it was, uh, well, there, there, there's a couple of things, several things that they could do. Art Scroll lists 10 things that they did wrong. The Argamar is focusing on one thing. That they were more Allah. They made some sort of legal decision about how to do this Torah, this Aish, right, without consulting with Moshe in itself. That in itself is a Chiv Misa, irrespective of what they did with the Torah. They just can't, you can't make stuff up. That itself makes you Chiv Misa. How do we know? My Darish, Venoslim, the Aaron, Akoin, Aish, Alamizbeach. They put an Aish, Alamizbeach. Alpha Bisha, Aish, Yoredas, Mina Shemaim. The, the, the Aish was supposed to come from Shemaim. So we see 
the essence of the Avera, the technical essence of the Avera, was they put the Eish on the Mizbeach instead of having it come from Shemaim. So it says, Mitzvah lahavi min They, right, so even though the fire comes from, from, from uh, Shemaim, right, they made a decision that it would, be, it would be even better for human beings to bring it. Okay. So that is the Avera according to um, according to our Gemara, Tosfos points out the last Tosfos on Gimel and Aleph, and a lot of other sources of what their Avera was, and then Art School goes through ten other things that their Avera was. But as we said in our introduction, you see how this works. Hashem says that the fire is going to come from Shemaim, and they made. And I don't really know is it self serving. It seems like it's Shem Shemaim, but they let their own agenda seep in. They made like f- assumptions. We should bring the Aish. Why should Hashem bring the Aish? We should bring the Aish. So it's not like Migdal Bavel where you're saying we want to conquer Hashem, but it has shades of like a self-importance that seeps in that, uh, and that's the common denominator essentially in all of the ten Averis, whether it was that they were intoxicated or they, they, they were more alakhif rabo, whatever it is, they got carried away with what? Themselves. They got carried away with themselves, which was a lesson that they needed to learn that Claudius all needed to learn that it's not about you, it's about the collective, uh, and how, and what you can do to further other people's, um, lives and make everyone's lives better, or, uh, more essentially for Avodas Hashem. So now we're at the two dots, 12 lines up, and we say the following. The Kohen Gadol exited the way that he entered. How do we know that? So, that in those days, Shlomo Melech, before he built the Mesa Mikdash, they used to have a Bama in Givon. That's where he used to bring the Karbanas. So it was an unusual, right, that, uh, situation where the Aron was in Yerushalayim already, but the, the, the Mizbeach was in Givon. That's where they weren't so close to each other. Well, it's weird. Shlomo came and he brought a Bama. He brought a Karban. And, the, and he did it so in Givon, because that's where the Mizbeach was. But, right, what, there's an Isser Bamos once the base of Mikdash was built. That's certainly the case, right? But before the base of Mikdash was built, so they had, they had you could have a Mizbeach outside of Yerushalayim. The thing is, why is it called Givon Yerushalayim? Those two are not the same place at all. Says the Gemara, V'chimayin in Givon and Yerushalayim. They're very far apart. No, by calling it Givon Yerushalayim, it's explaining that just like he treated Givon, he treated Yerushalayim. He was making a Tzushtel, as it were. In other words, it's explaining, it's Yosem Yigivon Yerushalayim, Levi Yosem Yerushalayim Legivon. Ma bi Yosem Yerushalayim Legivon, Pan of Klapi Bama, Kederech Biyasa, Af it's Yosem Yigivon Yerushalayim, Pan of Klapi Bama, Kederech Biyasa. That just like when you leave Yerushalayim, you face the Bama, so too when you leave Givon, you face the Bama, meaning to say that when you walk out, you do what? You back out. Facing the thing, it's disrespectful to just walk and turn your back on the Bama. And similarly, that's what we learn. That's what the Kohen do in Avoda. This applies to Levim, Kohen, Yisraelim. Whenever they're in the base of Mikdash, or in Shul, as it were, they walk out backwards. When they move back, they depart. They don't just turn your back to the Aron, or to the Shul, or to the Bama, and walk away. All right, you get technical. Mitzadim Pneim sounds like you're going off to the side. Some say this halacha. If you can't back out, we're going to see. We're going to apply this now to Shemonesre. When you back out at the end of Shemonesre, uh, if you don't have space behind you, can you go to the side? Some say the halacha based off of this that you could. Bottom line is, you're not turning your back to it. You're walking away 
um, facing it as much as you can. Vehalchin, Vechain Talmud, and Nifta Merabo. This applies not only in Shul or Besam Mikdash, but also a Talmud who's backing away from his Rebbe out of Yiras, you write Yiras and Kavod for the Rebbe, Lo Yachzer Panavayelach, Alamitzad Panavaholach. You don't walk away from somebody by turning your back to them, especially not your Rebbe, you show Kavod and you walk backwards, deferentially. So let's see stories about that. Whenever Rabbi Lazar would walk away from Rabbi Yochanan, when Rabbi Yochanan would wish to go, so Rabbi Lazar would bow or stand in place, right? Whenever the Rebbe walks in or the Rebbe walks out, the Rebbe here is Rabbi Yochanan. So whenever that would happen, Rabbi Lazar would stand and bow until Rabbi Yochanan could no longer, was no longer visible. And whenever Rabbi Lazar wished to go, Whenever he wished to, let's say, Shir was over, Rabbi Yochanan finished Shir, and Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lazar was leaving, he would walk backwards, until he could no longer see his Rebbe, out of great covenant, so long as the Rebbe was within sight, he was walking backwards. Let's talk about another story. Rava, this is wild, Rava's incredible covenant Torah for his Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef. Rava, whenever he'd leave his teacher, Rabbi Yosef, Rava and Abaye were like the two best students of Rabbi Yosef. We, we uh, recall many times that Rabbi Yosef was blind. That becomes a factor here because Abaye, uh, by the way, is the one that always is reminding Rabbi Yosef of the things that he learned because he not only was blind but later learned a lot of what he, right, he forgot a lot of what he's learned. Be that as may, in the earlier days when Rava was in his shir, he would walk out, he would walk out backwards, until his, his legs were bruised. He would walk away with such haste and reverence that he lost, like, he lost, he didn't know where he was and he kept bumping into the floor molding and covering it with blood. So much so that the floor molding in Yosef's house was just dirtied with the blood of Rava walking backwards all the time. So as we turn to him, Gimel and Beis, Amrulei Rabbi Yosef, his Talmidim told him, Achi Avad Rava, right? So again, Rabbi Yosef was blind, so he didn't know. They said, you know that the floor molding in your house is filled with, or I guess if he gave shear in the house, the floor molding in the shear room, wherever, is, is filled with blood from Rava doing this. So Amrulei, Rabbi Yosef was impressed. Yei Rava, the Tarim Reisha Chakula Deraka. That Rava had so much Kavadat Torah, he should become, it's a person with that kind of reverence for Kavadat Torah that should be exalted as the leader of the entire city, the posik of the entire city. Mind you, Abai is in the Shir. He's like, hey, I'm right here. Well, Abai has his Yal Kagam, where he, where we paskin like him, but everywhere else, we do, in fact, ultimately, this bracha was Mikuyam, where Rava was, in fact, so long as he was alive, was um, the one that we paskin like, was the main Rebbe in the city. Once Rabbi Yosef passed away. Amr of Alexandria, Amr of Yeshub and Levi, this is where we bring it to our Shmonesrei. That before we say, right, when we finish Shmonesrei, so we had just done an incredible thing. Every time that we daven Shmonesrei, we are literally standing before Hashem. Incredible. And therefore, we are certainly not going to just turn our back and walk away. We back away. Shalosh Psias, where does that come from? Uh, the art scroll brings like four different explanations. It boils down like this. Whether you talk about the three barriers that Moshe Rabbeinu passed as he, uh, as he ascended our Sinai, or the three mil that the, that the, of the ramp uh, that, uh, that we were from the, ba- from, um, that Klyisrael were from the Aron, uh, from the, from, during um, Kabbalah Satara, the three mil, 
or that the ramp had the or, or the Kohen Levi Yisrael, the three levels of kedusha. You see some. You see a lot of precedents for three, 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 three. When you talk about levels of kedusha, it seems to come in intensities of three um, of dark of or as they do in Starbucks in Costa Rica, um, La Havdil, light roast, medium roast, and dark roast. Okay, we'll call it like that because Andrew likes the coffee. Dark roast, incidentally, uh, more of the caffeine burns out. That's uh, maybe counterintuitive to you. You might have thought dark roast was more caffeinated, it's less caffeinated. That was a chiddush to me, but it's not like decaffeinated. So don't think that dark roast is decaffeinated. It's a little less caffeine than the light roast. Anyway, so that's where we get the Shalosh Psiyas. So we're going to say a couple of things about this and we're going to go with the base Yosef and we're going to go uh, we're going to go with the halacha. We'll, we'll go with the halacha of backing out of the Shemineser here. When you go three steps back, you should remain there. It's like, here's the mashal. If a Talmud, let's say, backs out out of Kavod, right, for his Rebbe, and then Chazal Alter, and then walks right in, right afterwards. Wow, this is what the base Yosef explains. He's like a dog that returns to start munching on his own vomit. Gross. And what's this analogy have to do with anything? So the base Yosef explains in the Art Scroll as follows, which is, when a dog vomits, so you assume, okay, well, listen, he ate something he shouldn't have eaten. This is like something that he needed to do for his health. Fine. But then if he goes back and starts like nibbling at it, so then you say, well, this dog is just gross. Like, that's why he vomited. He's vomited because he's a gross dog. So similarly, if a Talmud walks out deferentially, that's great. But then, if you just run back in, like willy-nilly, so then you, you what? You expose that the, when you've left deferentially, you weren't really being deferential after all. In other words, stay consistent with your behavior. Um, so we can assume that he walked away deferentially out of deference, just like the dog vomited out of a medical, so to speak, necessity. But once you go back and you reveal yourself to just not be respectful at all, or in the case of the dog, to show that you're just gross, so then you've undone what you uh, did when you walked out in the first place. That's how we say it. Fine. Uh, going back to walking back from... We have the Bryce that says, You walk three steps back, as we say. If he doesn't do it, it's better that he doesn't daven at all. What are you talking about? So again, davening is a respectful uh, right thing. You have to know, right? You have to know that you're in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So if you are deferential, it's great. But if you're going to be disrespectful, it's better that you don't, they don't come at all. Right, better don't come and and, and be disrespectful in shul, um, and, and and unless you can have the proper covered rosh when you're davening, fine. Umshim Shmaya Amru, Rav Simon Wolf points out this couldn't be Shmaya Naftalion, a famous Tanaic fame because they were early Tanaim. This is a later uh, ruling. So here we go. How do we bow? We we bow to the right and to the left, to the left to the right. Let's see. So Shmaya says you do right first and then left. So we see from the Pasuk that to the right of Hashem is the Eish Das Lamo. That's where the uh, nice concentration of Kedusha is. And therefore we de- bow to that first. And then the Omer, a second Pasuk, A Pasuk at Tehillim that says that to your right, Tzidcha, to your left, is going to be a thousand and way more to your right. So that's a Pasuk at Tehillim that teaches you that the right is way better than the left. So that's why you bow to the right first. 
The Gemara asks, why do you need both Pesukim? Why the second Pasuk? The Gemara explains, you might have thought without the second Pasuk that it's just, of course the Torah, so to speak, is on Hashem's right side. Because that's just what people do. It's like, it's the way of the world to put stuff on your right side. We're actually making, we're not saying that this is the Minog of Makom. We're saying that that's an actual value judgment, that the right is better than the left, and therefore we should bow to the right. However, Rava saw that Abaye, as we said, they would spend a lot of time together, and he said, and he saw Abaye leaning towards his right first, as we just explained. So Amalei, Rava corrected him. He said, uh, you thought that you're supposed to turn to your right? No, 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 no. The small kamina. You have to bow to your left. The Torah is to Kadosh Baruch Hu's right. Now the Kadosh Baruch Hu's right is your left. So therefore, you should bow to there first. He's using the mimi no. no. It's to Kadosh Baruch Hu's right, Dan, and therefore it is to the left of he who's facing a Kadosh Baruch Hu. Aha. This is, ends up being how we paskin. And he took all three steps um, with one bow. Okay, so Simon Wolf, the, the art school, they put it all together. You look at the Mishnah Brewer, the Psak in Kufchaf Gimel, the Shulchan Arach, and it comes out like this. You don't want to rush away from a Karsh Baruch Hu, so this is the procedure for walking back at the end of Shemonestre. You take one half step, so to speak, back from with your left foot first. Okay, so Andrew, you do, for you it's easy to remember. You do the, you do the boot first, half, half step back. Then you do a full step back with your right foot. Okay, and then you bring that third step is the second half step, bringing your left foot back together with your right foot. The entire time you're bowing down and you bow as Rava says, because we pass him like Rava, don't forget. Because he got his... his um, is heel all dirty. You go first to the left, then to the right, as you bring your right foot back, and then uh, as you bring your left foot back, back to your right foot, you, you bow, right, you stay bowed and you go forward, right? And that is the going back procedure of the Shemonestre. Okay, nine lines down in the wide. The Gemara says, that the Kohen Gadol used to say a short prayer in the Beis Achitzon. My Matzli, what would be the prayer? Rav Baravada, Rav Baravada, Tarvayim Shmei the Rav Amrei. They quote Rav as saying like this: This year should be rainy and hot, like Costa Rica. But really, in Israel, it's never like that. When it's hot, right? It's not raining. When it's raining, it's cold. So the Gemara says, You say, and besides, is it good for it to be hot? That if you have the hot days, you should be balanced out by the rainy days. So Furthermore, going on further in the prayer, that you should have the rulership, it should always be in Beis Yehuda. Israel should be able to Right, not have to support each other, but each one should be able to make a living on their own. Amazing idea, trying to counterbalance the tefillah of the overdrachim. Why? The overdrachim don't want it to be muddy, so they daven that there isn't rain, but that affects everyone else. So we pray, amazingly, on Yom Kippur. The Kohen Gadol prays that their prayers don't answer. Zerari Leibowitz, Shlita, the great that Yomi Master points out, see the power of prayer, right? 
the guys who are the over drachim, they're praying sincerely because they really mean it, because they really feel it, they're in it. And so a sincere prayer by an over drachim can, in fact, have the power, so much so that the coin God on Yom Kippur has to counteract it. Who else can counteract it? A sincere prayer is one of the most powerful uh, forces in the universe. The Rambam points out, um, when you have this sequence, it really is actually a sequence of priorities. First, you're davening, right, that, um, that you should have a shonog shuma ushchuna, that you should have health, right? And then you daven for the machos Yehuda. So, and then you daven for the parnasa part. So he says, that's actually priorities. First and most important, you should daven for your health. And then for freedom and for justice in the world. So that once you need, those are like basics, right, to, to move on in life. And then you can start davening for thriving success and all that. Interesting. So now, um, a related story. was one of the great daveners of all time. And it really, again, goes back to our, our um, discussion, our introduction, because his way of prayer was that he was able to keep a perspective that was not self-absorbed. Everybody has a tendency, even in Avodah Hashem, there is a tendency to be self-absorbed, but Rechanina was not. He always had perspective. Look at this. And therefore, it's because of his perspective that his davening always worked. When you daven for others, or with perspective of others, your davening is always going to work. Shadam Mitra Alei. When he he was walking along the road one time, it started to rain. Amar, Ribonish Shalaylam, Kula Benachas Vechanina Betzar. He just pointed out, the whole world loves this rain, right? Because it's good for their parnasa. But I am Betzar. Now, he was destitute. He had no crops, as we'll see. And so he was just, he wished he had a coat, right? He was freezing to death. But he said, you know, listen, from my perspective, the best case scenario would be that everyone else should be, continue to be happy from this rain, but I somehow would be saved from it. However, Pasuk Mitra, see, when you care about everyone else, HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally shows you he stopped the rain for Hanina Bendosa. Everyone else was going to have to now, uh, the world revolved around Hanina Bendosa, Dafka because he realized that the world didn't revolve around him. See how that works? Then, Kiyasa Levesei Amar, when Hanina Bendosa got to his, that's why his prayer was so powerful. Then he gets home, and he says, Rebunshalom, he said, I don't mind that it doesn't rain. I like walking around in the dry. I don't even have crops anyways. So I'm benachas, as Rashi explains. Right? However, the rest of the world is bizarre. Atamitra, so it started to rain. We'll learn more about him as we go on. More comments on the, on, uh, on the power of his prayer. Amar Yosef, Maya Hani the We know that the coin Gadol was powerful, but the prayers of the selfless Chanina Bedosa was even more powerful. How could the Kohen Gadol even expect his prayers to be as strong? A strong statement indeed. Okay, moving on. A different story. So here we go. The Kohen Gadol went in. As we said, the Rambam said, we had to fish him out a lot. The Zohar said, Yitztapa pointed this out, they used to have like a golden string to fish him out. They used to have the fish, the, 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 they used to have to somehow fish out the coin gadol. But we point out that clearly this was not the case with this coin gadol, which leads the Mepharshim and the, uh, the Sfas Emes among them to point out this was Shimon Tzadik, who we had already mentioned had a 40-year streak of always coming out uh, with, with the Lahashem in his right hand, and Klaisho was doing okay. He was, he was a Tzadik indeed, so nobody he, would tie a string around him. You didn't need to fish him out. However, one year, he was that guy with the long Shemona Esrei. Now everyone's getting antsy because they knew that this was this thing that people could die in there. So they make like a decision, right? They vote, like, should we go in? Shouldn't we go in? And they're getting nervous. 
you don't, you're not supposed to go in, but you have no choice. They didn't put a string around him and he's probably passed away in there. So So they decided we're going in. As they're about to go in, he comes out. He said, what was this extra long prayer? So listen, things are going down. I'd have an extra long for you, for you guys, for the base of Mikdash, for our generation. That's why it was, as the Mephashim explained, this was his last year, the, that 40th year, where we saw the, the person dressed in black, remember? That was the year. That's what he was doing, extra time in there. He had a premonition that this was going to be his last year. And so he davened extra hard. It was his last time. He was savoring it. He was davening extra hard. But they didn't like that. He says, don't do that again, guy, because don't get used to that. Turns out he wasn't. He never did do it again. They said, don't do that again, Shaninu, uh, right? Because we, we learned already that a person should not prolong, right, that the Kohen Gadol shouldn't prolong his prayer so as not to frighten the Jewish people. The Maritz points out an uh, unbelievable thing. This is a raya, as uh, quoted in the Art Scroll. Mind you, this was during Shimon HaTzadik. If that's the case, then it's before the Mishnayis, by around, what, what two, three hundred years. So whether they're quoting a Mishnahic source, they're quoting uh, uh, two or three hundred years before the Mishnah, shows you that the Bryces and the Mishnahic, the Tanaic teachings were already in place and they were there for hundreds of years before um, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi actually codified them in the Mishnah. Okay, speaking of which, let's go read this next Mishnah. Uh, by the way, this stuff is really long, very wordy, as you see. It looks like Masechah's Brachas over here. Nundal and Amadalf a little wordy, but then Nundal and Amadbez, uh, very small. So we're going to Bezrat Hashem by Shabbos, hopefully be caught up, Andrew. Okay, Mishnah. I didn't want you to go around anxious today. Mishnital Aaron says the mission. When the, when the Aaron was taken away, Evan Haisa Shami Mos Nevim Rishonim, right? So there's a base of Bais Rishon, Bais Shani. So you had an Aaron in the Bais Rishon, not so in the Bais Shani, but there was the Evan Shasia, which we will discuss in the Gemara tomorrow. It's called the Evan Shasia, the foundation stone. There it is, maybe significant. Three, it's boss off the ground, the Kedusha, three. That's where, instead of on t- between right, the poles of the Aaron, that's where the Kohen Gadol will place the shovel of burning coals. Okay, Not, so now we're continuing with the Avodah. The Kohen Gadol is coming out of the smoke-filled room. Remember this guy? He was mixing the blood the entire time. Kohen takes the blood. Right? He goes back to the place he entered before and he stood in the place where he stood before. The sprinkling of the blood. One above, seven below. He's not intentionally doing it up or down. He's spritzing it like Jackson Pollock and but... He's counting. As we say, why is it said like this? Because seven times he does the sprinkling. But when he does it, he does one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It descends in the number of hazas. One, three, four, five, six, seven. Right? He does it seven times. And then the last hazah, it's one, and then he just says seven. So it's one spread stop. One spritz below. We will continue with the bringing of the Sa'ir, La Hashem, tomorrow.